All of you here this morning want to be closer to God. At least that's the assumption I'm going to work from each and every morning. All of you here want to be closer to God. I can say this with confidence because you represent the 20% of Americans who will find their way through the doors of a church this morning. You are one of the 20% who are going to church today. The majority of your friends and your family, they're not here. They're somewhere else. So if you are here, you must have a pretty good reason to be here. And the most comprehensive and trusted surveys indicate that you are likely here for one of two reasons. The first, like I said, is to be closer to God. 44% of people who come to church say this is one of the reasons they come. The second is to learn about God. 27% who attend church list this as their primary motivation to get out of the bed in the morning. Proximity, it seems, and knowledge of God, proximity and knowledge of God, are why the majority of people, like you, come. Surprisingly, only one in five say they go to church because the Bible teaches about fellowship with other believers. And in this age of loneliness, the epidemic of loneliness, just one in ten people reports going to church because they're looking for friends or a community to call their own. My point is, today, in the world we live in, which is a change, people come to church primarily because they want access to God. They want to get close to God. And from my experience as a pastor, people want access to God because they want access to the power God promises the faithful. Today's passage Mark, from Mark, Jesus makes his second passion prediction. For the second time, he tells his closest followers that his ways are not their ways. His ways are not the ways of the world. They want him to go up, to climb the ladder. He's going to make it clear. He's going to go down, down that path of betrayal and death, and in time, eventually, resurrection. Not surprisingly, his disciples have a hard time understanding this way to power. They see Jesus as the political or military leader who will finally help them overthrow the power that is Rome. They want him to replace one structure of power with another structure of power with him at the top because they believe that is what is necessary to establish God's realm of justice and peace. But as we heard today, this is not the way God works. God's ways are not our ways. It's funny, but it's been my experience that Christians, people of faith, struggle with this truth that God's ways are not our ways. They struggle with that more than the average person. I think that's because in part of our burning desire to be faithful, our burning desire to make a difference. In that desire to be faithful to God's call, we often double down on what we thinks, think works, what we believe will make it happen. To instigate change, to assure effectiveness, to grow our communities of faith, we imitate the patterns of power we see and live in each and every day. Like the disciples, to gain access to the power we think we need to do the work we're called to do, we surround ourselves with powerful, influential, connected people. 
People who have something to offer us and the world. Like the disciples, in, order to, in our desire to gain access to power, we argue among ourselves about who is the greatest or who has the most potential. Like the disciples, in our desire to effect real and lasting change, we try to position ourselves in close proximity to the ones we believe have access to the power we seek. And into all this confusion, Jesus speaks. Before he was famous, Will Willimon was the pastor of a small church in a dying neighborhood. Translation, the people moving into the neighborhood were quite different than the people who went to that church. After years and years of seeing declining membership numbers, the church finally decided it was time to embark on a new strategy for evangelism, a new way to grow. On one Sunday morning after worship, a handful of brave souls gathered in the parlor, and Willimon specifically heard someone tell two elderly women who were there, Sarah and Mary, he heard someone tell them to go down Main Street, turn right, and then knock on the doors of the houses on that street. A couple of hours later, after many discouraging conversations, the band of evangelists returned to the church parlor and shared their stories. People hadn't answered the doors, others hadn't wanted to talk about church, and others already had a church home and weren't interested in making a change. Then in walked Sarah and Mary, breathless and excited, We went down Main Street, they said, and we turned left and we started knocking on doors. Wait a minute, Willimon responded. You were supposed to go down Main Street and turn right, not left. Yeah, someone else chimed in. You weren't supposed to go into that neighborhood on the left. That's the projects. That's not a safe place to be. Well, anyway, Mary and Sarah went on. There were lots of people who didn't answer the doors or weren't interested in talking with us. But there was this one lady. Her name was Verlene. She came to the door, and she had two little kids, and we told her about the church. And she said she was just desperate for help. She was just desperate. And we told her that was just the kind of person we're looking for, just the kind of person we needed at our church. So we invited her to come to Bible study this morning with the ladies on Wednesday. Mary and Sarah were beaming. Everyone else in in the circle looked kind of skeptical. What about the kids, someone asked. We told her to bring them. We said we'd figure out a way to have them watched with childcare. Well, not surprisingly, on Wednesday morning, Verlene showed up. Who wouldn't show up for free childcare? The Bible study that day happened to be about temptation. And after they read the passage, Willimon asked the woman to share about a time they had faced temptation. At first, no one spoke. Then one lady talked about going to the grocery store the day before and discovering in the parking lot that in her bag was a loaf of bread she hadn't paid for. At first, I wasn't going to do anything about it, she said. I mean, really, is one loaf of bread going to make or break that big store? But then I knew I had to do the right thing, so I went back and returned it. Everyone around the table nodded in approval. Then Verlene spoke. Well, there was this one time she started, I was living with this guy, not the father of my second child, but the man before that. And we were doing a lot of coke. And that stuff really messes with your head. And one day we needed some cash. And he talked me into robbing this little service station. And we went in and and we robbed the place. Came out with 200 bucks. It was great. Easy as taking candy from a baby. But something about it just didn't feel right. 
few weeks later, he came up with another plan to rob a convenience store. And I thought about it, and I just told him I couldn't do it. I told him, no, I'm not going to do it with you. And he beat me. But you know what? That was the first time in my life I said no to anybody about anything. It was the first time in my life I felt like somebody. The room was silent. Willimon broke the silence with, okay, I think it's time we close the meeting with prayer. Later in the parking lot, Mary said to Willimon, wow, your Bible study today was actually pretty interesting. I'm going to go home and get on the phone because I think I can get a crowd to come for that. I mean, this stuff is good. That was good stuff. And Willimon said, look, you were told to go down Main Street and turn right, not left. And Mary said, preacher, I'm as bored with church as you are. I think Verlene was sent to us by God to remind us what the gospel is really about. I can get a crowd for this. When we try to run church the way we've learned to run our businesses, we try to recruit those who have something to offer us into our fold, Jesus teaches us that we step further away, not closer to the God we all seek. In today's story, Jesus takes the least powerful person he could find, a child, and places this child in the middle of his disciples to teach them that it is the powerless, those who have nothing to offer, who have the ability to grant us access to God. And when he said that, when he did that, when he embraced that child, it rocked their world. We have a hard time remembering, but in the time of Jesus, children were seen as property, not people. On top of that, the ancient world was infused with this honor and shame culture. Those who were rich and powerful demonstrated their honor by the company they kept. Even more than today, one's power and one's influence were closely tied to the company one kept. That's the way the world worked then, and sadly, it's the way the world kind of works now, but that is not the way God works. If you want access to God, Jesus teaches us, if you want access to God's grace, God's mercy, God's power, God's peace, if you want to have God in your corner, in your house, in your life, welcome those who have nothing to offer you, nothing except themselves. These past few weeks, we have been reminded of the power that the powerless in our world have access to. The refugee crisis in Europe has been an issue for years. But it wasn't until the haunting image of a lifeless body of a three-year-old boy made its way into our homes that the crisis has taken on new importance. Of course, this is not the first time a single heart-stopping photo of a child became a pivot point in history, much like the 1972 photo of a naked Vietnamese girl screaming from napalm burns, help end the Vietnam War, and how the image of a vulture stalking an emaciated Sudanese toddler in 1993 drew the world's attention to that place. The image of a lifeless child being held in the arms of a Turkish officer might just be the tipping point in the migrant crisis of Europe. The question, of course, everyone's asking is whether this soul-searching, this burst of empathy, 
will last? It's a fair question. The resistance to immigrants will continue to grow. It's already there. It's hard to welcome the stranger. But I am convinced, I am absolutely convinced that the tenor of the conversation has changed for good. And I can say that because I believe every person, every nation, every community, every church who opened their hearts, their doors, their wallets to people who have nothing to offer except themselves, every person and institution that does that gains access to the power of God. If you welcome the child, Jesus says you welcome me. If you welcome that little one, you don't only welcome me, you welcome the one who sent me. As the Apostle Paul, Apostle James, excuse me, reminds us in his letter to the church, true wisdom is from above, and it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. The wisdom that holds us, inspires us, and empowers us to do the important work we're called to do comes from God. It doesn't come from us. And this God with this wisdom and this power and this strength is not found at the top of the pyramid or in the seats of power. God is with the powerless. God is with the little ones who have nothing to offer except themselves. Desmond Tutu articulated a starting rea- startling reality once while talking about the history of Israel and his native land. This God did not just talk, he acted, Tutu said. He showed himself to be a doing God. Perhaps we might add another point about God, he said. God takes sides. God is not a neutral God. God took the side of the slaves, the oppressed, the victims. God is still the same today. God sides with the poor, the hungry, the oppressed, and the victims of injustice. Now, this might sound like horribly bad news for people like you and me who have access to power. But it's not. Because if God is with the powerless, and the powerless are all around us, that means we have access to God. Every one of us here today, I believe, wants a life that makes a difference. You want to be a better person. You want to be a better spouse, a, a better parent, a better worker, a better sibling, a better citizen, a better Christian. You're here because you want access to something to help you do that important work. The trouble is, in that need, we turn to the world. And the power the world offers us, while effective in some ways, only perpetuates a system predicated on winners and losers, insiders and outsiders, and those with access and those without. The kind of power the world offers just shuffles the deck chairs without making room for any more. But mercy extended to those who have no possibility of returning the favor, love given to those on the outside looking in, opportunity provided to those who have nothing to offer in return for the good deed. This is how we gain access to true power because this is how we gain access to God. Take in a little one and you take in me. This is the point in the sermon where I typically give you a list of things to do, practical applications to make this happen. 
I started making a list, and then I stopped. That's not my job. Welcoming the powerless into our lives is going to look so different for each and every one of you. I don't know your story completely. I don't know where you work, where you live, what your challenges are each and every day. But I do believe with all my heart that you have the capacity to do what Jesus commands. You have the capacity to welcome someone without power into your life. And when you try to do that, I want to invite you to remember some words from theologian Jean Venier that have comforted me as I've attempted to live out my understanding of God's call in my life. This is what he wrote. We have to remind ourselves constantly, constantly, that we are not saviors. We are simply a tiny sign among thousands of others that love is possible, that the world is not condemned to a struggle between oppressors and oppressed, that class and racial warfare is not inevitable. We are a sign that there is hope because we believe that, the God, that God loves us and sends the Spirit to transform our hearts and lead us from egoism to love so we can live every day as brothers and sisters. We are each a tiny sign among thousands and thousands of others. I like that. I can do that. So you want access to God's power? It's yours for the taking. All we have to do is welcome the ones who have nothing to offer us in return but the gift of themselves, which turns out, of course, to be the very gift of God's presence and God's power. Amen.